we are going to, we have a nice, intimate, cozy crowd this morning, so you're going to get to know each other a little bit. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next few minutes, because, or moments, because you don't have a lot of time. To, um, I want you to think of either your, what you think might be the most unique Christmas tradition you have. Uh, in fact, it can be holiday. It can be like Christmas or New Year's. We'll extend it a little bit. Um, either the most unique Christmas tradition that you have, or um, maybe some of you just have a wacky Christmas tradition. You're not even really sure where it started or why you do it. Uh, but I have families, too, and so I know how this goes. Sometimes you just do things uh, that you're not really even sure why you're doing. And here's what your job is this morning, right now, is you need to tell someone about it. So you need to pair up a little bit, and, uh, and you need to find a crowd. You're going to have to move this morning. That means you're going to have to get up and find people uh, who, are, who are near you. We're like, we're like suburbs in Texas right now. Yeah, maybe we all ought to just scoot in here. We're, there's like the plains of West Texas in between groups of people. So find a little group, discuss what you do at Christmas time. And either your favorite or the wackiest Christmas tradition that you guys do. Bradley, go ahead and come sit up here. All right. 30 seconds. I want to hear some of these. There's some good conversation going on. All right, Lindsay, I'm going to give you first, first shot at it. Um, man, these, these sound interesting to me already. Go ahead, Lindsay. Let's hear what, what you got. You do the 12 days of Christmas. So how does that work? Nice. How fun. That is very cool. Yeah. No, I'm just going to know. It's a really neat one. No. Um, they do the 12 days of Christmas, and so the 12 days leading up, it's a, it's a longer celebration and party that way. I bet you the envy of the neighbors, all the neighborhood kids wish they were in your household. That's cool. I like that. What else? Yeah. Please. Leave it to mom to plan ahead like that. That's awesome. Good job, mom. Nice. Really? Do you wear those, like, footy pajamas? Okay. That would be cool. All right, Ben. My mom cannot stand the smell of oysters, so they are not allowed in the house. But every New Year's Eve, we, we have a, a meal of snacks, so like crackers and cheese, and that's the one time a year that dad is allowed to eat oysters. In the house. Nice. And what country is that from, Ben? There you go. Anyone else? These are fun. Yeah. When I was their age, do you want to call them? Okay. Well, we used to make Christmas cookies, but the children always struggled to make them nice. And we had the ugliest cookie making. Oh, right. <laughs> Very good. For the artistically challenged. Yes, Rob. Well, I grew up in Arkansas. I don't know that. <laughs> we want to be biblically accurate with our Christmas. Oh. <laughs> well, now the rest of us feel judged, and uh, <laughs> now that can this can be this can be hotly debated between. Whenever I do premarital counseling, I always get this one on the table first. Do you celebrate at Christmas Eve or Christmas morning? 
And in our house, it's do you do stockings before the bigger gifts or after? And uh, we just settle it um, by a rousing game of Monopoly to see who... No, just kidding. Um, those, are, those are important issues to discuss before you, uh, before you get married. Um, well, listen, I, I, I want to just share a few thoughts this morning with us and um, hopefully just encourage our hearts. Obviously, um, I'm looking around the room and, and know most everyone here, and this will be just a fun uh, family time this morning. Um, but just in terms of directing our hearts toward what Christmas is all about, yesterday was so fun. We had the um, Help One Child thing going on, and several faces in this room were there. Um, and, uh, and here's Ron Rose going around, you know, in his full biker leathers and stuff to all these different kids coming through. And the kids just had a blast. Uh, Ron was right. The volunteers end up having more fun, I think, than the kids um, in some ways. But he's just going around taking pictures, and he just was asking kids. He said, hey, do you know what, you know, can you tell me what Christmas is all about? And um, it was just, it was cute to hear the answers, because some kids are like, I got a bike. You know, it's like, oh, you've clearly grasped the deeper meanings of Christmas. Um, but it was just fun to hear, you know, hear that conversation go on. And um, <clears throat> this morning, instead of recounting, you know, what the story is, I think it's really important to do that. And uh, one of our traditions is to just read the Christmas story, I and mean, that's just a fun thing, and, and that's biblically accurate, too. So you can... <laughs> You're okay, Dave. Um, but but I want to I just direct our thoughts for a few moments to the why. What's, you know, kind of the why behind Christmas? And, um, and I think a lot of people know the what. I mean, they can kind of stammer through the various elements. Some of us went to Bethlehem uh, experience over at, uh, at First Baptist Santa Clara. And as I wandered around there, it was actually fascinating. I've done this every year. You overhear snapshots of people discussing as the story unfolds live in front of you, they're kind of discussing the bits and pieces that they know of the story. And they're kind of like, yeah, those are the, you know, the wise men, you know, and really it's the shepherds or something, you know, and I'm like, wrong. You know, no, I don't say that. Um, but it's just, it's interesting to hear them piece it together. And I realize, man, I've taken for granted that I've grown up hearing the story. I know all of these characters. I know what's going to happen. Um, but I think most people can kind of stumble through the story. But I think they stop there, and I don't think a lot of people think about, either take time to think about, or understand the why of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? And here's what bears this out. Drive around sometime in this next week. I love this time of year. It's just so magical. It's so fun. Um, and we're going to drive around the same streets that I grew up driving around, um, you know, around Christmas time, because I grew up around here. And we just look at lights, and we love to bundle up and walk our neighborhood and do the same thing. And periodically, you'll hear someone from our car, or as we're on the walk, you know, someone will say, hey, they know what Christmas is all about. Because periodically, you'll see a nativity scene, right? Um, but honestly, for the most part, you don't see that, at least not in my neighborhood. We, um, we have the, uh, the most standout one that I've seen recently, about two blocks from our house, is um, is a massive, I mean, this is a person committed to displaying a prominent message, a massive blow-up Santa that's way taller than Ben, and right next to Santa, I think they're even like arm-in-arm, arm, is, uh, is SpongeBob SquarePants with a Santa hat on. And I thought, well, now they understand the meaning of Christmas. I mean, that's really what it is all about, you know? A cartoon and Santa just getting together. Um <clears throat> 
So why did Jesus come? And just thinking through that, um, we're looking at the book of John right now, obviously, as, as most of you know. And just in the book of John alone, um, Jesus repeatedly claimed to be on a mission from God. He claimed to be God, and then he, he really claimed to be on a mission from God. Um, depending on how you slice it, there's about 39 times just in that gospel alone where he says, I am, I am either God or I'm on a mission from God. And that's what he talks about. That's this driving theme. Uh, but he sure came in this mysterious way. We, we just sang about it. Born in Bethlehem is such a great song. And all the Christmas carols that we do, there's just so much truth in there. And the obscurity and the humble circumstances and the fact that there's a warm king in a palace somewhere and a cold, shivering baby somewhere. And they ought to, I mean, if things were right, they ought to switch places. And there's this weird way that God shows up on earth. And I still don't understand it. Uh, it's certainly not how most of us would have picked. Look at this, um, look at this passage in John, in John 1. It says this. I love the way the message translates it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw his glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And that's what we're celebrating here. But as we, as we discover in the Bible, and, and some of you uh, have, have done this extensively, um, he certainly wasn't what, what the world was expecting. And I think if he came today, um, it's easy to look back in history and think we would have been different, but I think we would have been just as shocked and just as appalled in some ways. Um, I wonder if you've ever had expectations that were just you know, not met. You, you came to a situation or a circumstance, and um, frankly, when, when expectations are not met, yeah, it's... The laughter ripples on this, this kind of a slide because people are like, oh, ooh. Um, but when expectations aren't met, it can actually cause a lot of friction, can it? Because there's letdown and there's, there's, uh, there was anticipation. I was really convinced for several years running that I was getting a real horse for Christmas. Um, I asked for it repeatedly, um, and I had done the math, and we had plenty of room in the backyard. Um, I could figure out how to grow hay. I mean, I really was convinced I, would, I was get a, getting a horse. And um, after years and years of Christmas, I have tons of those statue horses. So my parents got me a horse every year, just not the right kind. I guess I wasn't specific enough. Um, Kind of the way that Jesus came and the way that Messiah came to this people reminds me of this. It's it's a little bit like this. Um, In the early 90s, I was was out skiing, and uh, some of you have heard this, but bear with me. I was out skiing, and um, I took this jump, and... uh, Okay, this isn't actually me. But honestly, this is how it was in my mind, okay? <laughs> um, and my buddy didn't have his camera, so it would have looked similar. Um, but I took this jump. I was at Sierra Tahoe, and I saw tracks going off it, and I hadn't checked the landing. And uh, that's really a mistake um, to, to not do that. Usually I go and look what I'm jumping over or off, and if you can't see it, then it's a good idea to check it out. Um, and it was kind of like in midair where I, I spotted the landing and realized there were some issues and problems that were coming my way. And so uh, as I landed, I basically landed in a, a covered over creek bed. My skis stopped dead because it was water underneath. And the top of my head smashed into a tree stump, um, which I can attest to doesn't feel good. And uh, I'm now laying in a, in a freezing creek. Um, one of my friends stayed there with me. The other one who was a lifeguard went to go get help. And... Um, Ski patrol shows up, and I was like, yes, you know, the ski patrol, this is great news. 
And uh, what happened on my, on my landing was I had a, a ten and a half inch cut go across the top of my head this way. And um, if you've ever nicked your head, there's just a lot of blood up there running around. And when you let it out, it leaks really bad. And so I'm laying there and, um, and I'm kind of going in and out of consciousness. And, you know, I didn't see the white light, but it was close, I think. Um, and as I'm laying there, the ski patrol shows up. And um, instead of looking me over well, they saw a bunch of blood around the side of my head. And so they wrapped my head this way. So I looked a little bit like Richard Simmons. I had a big, massive gauze headband like this. Well, all that was doing was soaking up all of the you know, problems up top. And then they thought, well, um, you know, he, he should probably be put on a neck board because he hit his neck pretty hard and this and that. So they put me on a neck board. Well, if you've ever been on a neck board, what happens is they strap you in like this. Then they bring a, a wooden piece down on top of your head and they push it right up against the head so that, um, you know, so your head doesn't move around at all. Well, then I went down. I always wanted to ride behind the snowmobile, but I didn't want to be injured too bad. So I finally got my wish. I remember thinking as I'm laying there, wow, I'm finally getting to do it. What a dream come true. You know, I also want to get bit by a shark while surfing. So I, it's weird and I can't really explain it. <clears throat> um, but the bottom line is, is I, I kind of bounced my way all the way down the hill on top of this neck board. And frankly, I mean, let's just be honest here. My, my rescuers, my saviors, the ski patrol, they just weren't all that they cracked up to be. I was thrilled to see them. I thought, great, here's my lucky day. And then I ended up by saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I think I would have just rather taken my you know, chances with my buddies helping me down because they would have done better. And honestly, as you read the story of Jesus, as it unfolds, it's a little bit like that. There's a people that are like, yes, the Messiah is here. And if someone ran to your room and said, hey, bro, I found the Messiah, you would have leapt out of your skin because this is what you've been waiting for. And then you run out to meet this Jesus and he's out in the wilderness. He, he doesn't have this grand army with him. He doesn't really even seem that powerful. He's not going to change your situation with the Romans. He, uh, he almost seems like, thanks, but no thanks. And as you, read, as you read the story, here's what you find. There's, in general, there's two kinds of people. There's, there's religious kinds of people that either grew up in church or grew up seeking God and that sort of thing. There's, and then there's ir- irreligious people. And the same is kind of true today. And with the religious people, what you found was this in general. Jesus shows up, wasn't what they expected. And the basic message that I think was waiting for is this. If I heard Messiah was coming and I was one of the religious people in Jesus' day, I would be like, yes, finally someone's going to come and clean up this wretched place that we call home and set straight all these sinners. He's going to come and preach a message that says, clean up your act, kind of a message. And the problem with religious people, and and I say religious people because it's not just the Pharisees that did this. It's potentially us who are here in a church building. Is that, in general, a religious person tends to enjoy these flavors of sin, pride and and self-righteousness. And what happens is you can quickly begin to not see how how you are contributing to the mess that's going on. It's always easier, isn't it, to spot fault and sin in someone else and sometimes be blind to our own. But there were a few religious people 
who were seeking hard after God, who showed up at the temple every single week and who were who were pursuing God that had their lives absolutely transformed by this Jesus. And they were set free from a life of ritual. They, they had their life completed in this Christ. And they got it. I think many of the disciples would have fit in that category. Those were religious kids who had their eyes open to spiritual birth. There were also irreligious people. Most of the irreligious people seemed to be welcomed in by Jesus. And that welcome was, was, was also returned. They seemed to welcome him in. There's a, there's a scenario of Matthew, the tax collector, and he gets invited to the party later on, and Jesus goes and shows up. And there again, there's this divide, and it throws turmoil in. Not all, but just a few irreligious people traded their life of pleasure for this world and found Jesus and followed him to his death and probably to their death. They found life in Christ. <clears throat> Jesus answered the question of why for us. And I just want to, I want to just throw scriptures up. We're not in a passage this morning. I want you to look at the screen and see some scripture just in front of your face this morning. Here's what John 3.17 reads. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And John 3.16 is a really famous verse, but sometimes John 3.16 can be used kind of as Rob was talking about, as a way to get those people to clean their act up. I think some people see John 3.16 at a football game and they think, oh man, that's those self-righteous religious people, those Bible thumpers. And I wish we could package John 3.16 and John 3.17 together more and be able to say that there was a reason why Jesus came and here's what it was. Instead of being on a mission of pointing out people's messes, Jesus came to set people free from their mess. And he said, look, I'll handle it. I'll take care of the mess. <laughs> you couldn't possibly clean up the mess on your own anyways. If anyone walked his talk, it was Jesus. Think about this. He forgave those who'd made a mess of things. He invited the outcast in. I love that. He seemed to be in the service industry. He seemed to be taking kind of a servant's role. Listen to this. He, he fed crowds. He also cared for children. He helped others. He seemed to have a way of giving to the have-nots. Socially and spiritually and even financially, he came and invested and poured into the poor. Matthew one twenty three predicts this nickname. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child, a key component to the Christmas story. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. At his birth, this isn't after he started his ministry. At his birth, someone comes and says, there's going to be this nickname attached to this, to this person as he walks around, where people are just going to walk around whispering, surely God must be in our very midst because of what this guy is all about. And this is grabbed from a prophecy hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah that a sign would be given, a miracle would accompany the circumstances of Jesus Christ coming to earth. Why did Jesus come to earth? Here's the short answer, because he loves us. That's why, that's the short answer. Is there a lot more to it in the, in the, in the scriptures? Absolutely, but that's the simple truth. In kind of a pinnacle picture, if you could take Jesus' ministry and just say, man, here's how he showed his, his love to us. Listen to what John 13 records. It says this, it was just before the Passover feast. So kids, this is a little bit like right now. 
Christmas is coming. It's the season of celebration. And there's this buzz going on because families get together and there's this big feast that's going to happen. And they knew how to party. They did it more like the Cummins. They did it for a week or, or more on end. So here's this big anticipated holiday coming. This high holiday. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, catch this, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He didn't just talk about his love for us. He just showed it. And how did he show it? Here's what it continues on. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, not but, even though all that's true, he knew he had all power. He knew he was from God and returning to God and was God. But he decided to go wash the disciples' feet. No, it says, so. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Of his earthly ministry, aside from the cross, now the cross would be the ultimate way of serving someone, right? But aside from the cross, as a precursor to that, I think this might encapsulate, and that's what the scriptures record, he's now showing them the full extent of his love. This is a king that would leave his throne to come and serve that which he created out of love. John 10.45 says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How is his life a ransom? Here it is in in 1 John 3.4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Just this whole idea of sins, people were like, man, can't we leave that part out of the Christmas story? Can't we leave the cross out of the Christmas story? No, because Christmas really culminates in Easter. It's all one story. And when we talk about Easter, I so often pull back to the great truths that are found at Christmas. Because if you don't get the fact that he came in the circumstances that we're celebrating today, then you miss it. The great story of Christmas is that God came near. And the great story about Easter is that God is not mad at us. He takes the wrath, the punishment, the pain of sin on His Son. And that's why we have to tie those two together. I love to sing Christmas carols at Easter because it just makes sense. There's so much truth in there. And to think about sin, it's, it's easier to think about this. Rob talked about peace on earth. It's easy to think about sin and say, yeah, there is a lot of sin in the world. There's inequality and there's world wars going on and there's financial things and there's all kinds of corruption out there. And that's that's a little bit out there, isn't it? But sin is far more close than out there. There's also loss that has happened this year for many of us, if not most of us in this room. There's disease and sickness that's evidence of the curse of the fall. There's a broken relationship and divorce that many of us are walking with people through or, or helping them along or maybe experiencing or tempted in our, own, in our own way. Beyond that, there's distance around our dinner table at times. 
All of that is evidence of the sin. Even that you could say is out there. Yeah, it's those people. It's that family God that you put me in. Let's take it even closer and bring it right inside of our own heart. Every time you do something that you go, man, why did I do that? I don't even want to do that. That's evidence of sin. Every time you think to yourself, man, how come I can't stay on the right track? I do the right thing for a good day or two. And then when I'm really doing well, I do it for a week or two. But it's so hard to stay on the right track. And you find yourself in need of forgiveness again and again and again. That's just in your own heart. That's sin. And that's what Jesus came to free us from. I want to invite the band up right now. And they're going to play a song that is just, uh, it's just such a beautiful song. And, and Patty Smith has been gracious enough. She's going to sign it for us. I want you to catch the lyrics. Kids, look at the words on the screen if you're old enough to read. If not, just let the lyrics wash over you. But these words tell a story and they're meaningful and powerful. And as they get set up, I want you to listen to this verse in Galatians 4.4. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Galatians goes on to say, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, everything He has belongs to you. The reason it's a Merry Christmas is because of those truths that we just read from the Scriptures. Listen to this song. And I hope you're encouraged.
It's just such a powerful truth. And um, I just want to close with a word of encouragement for us that the God who came still comes. And the God who spoke long ago is still speaking to us. Psalm 73, 2 says this. It says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. We do a song here sometimes called Be Near. And it just has that very lyric in it. It says, the nearness of God is my good. And I would just challenge us in this room this morning, that if you're near to God, just celebrate that in a new way. It's not a distant thing that went on. It's a, it's a daily reality for us. And if somehow thinking has become clouded, and sometimes we run from the very good thing that we need and want and really desire, and somehow we get tricked into believing that the nearness of God isn't for our good, and so we run from Him. I don't know if you ever feel spiritually clumsy, but I do. There's a great prayer. It says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's one of the shortest prayers in all the Bible. And I love that because it's this mustard seed little thing. Lord, I do believe, but I have a lot of unbelief. Would you just help that? I don't know if you feel spiritually clumsy or incompetent or inconsistent or uncommitted or unbelieving. In a word, maybe this morning you feel messy. And you see a, a spray pump of cleaner. And you think, man, I want to run from that. I don't want to dive into this. That's too painful. It's too ugly. That's too shameful. The nearness of God is our good. Jesus said in the book of Mark, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news.
I think there's a perception that we feel the need to clean up, get right, straighten out, and then come to God. When in fact the Bible teaches quite clearly that the opposite is true. Until we see how sick we are, until we see how needy we are, we, we can't possibly come to Jesus and have Him do anything for us. It's me laying in the snow with my head cut open, unable to do anything on my own to rescue myself. God sees that and says, I don't put the burden on you to get straightened up, quit that bleeding, and get in here to the hospital. Hurry up. Jesus is the search and rescue mission that comes, finds, does way better than Ski Patrol ever will do, bandages us up, brings us in, and saves us. Father, we thank you so much that you came to that which was your own. And even though many did not recognize you, and even though today many do not recognize the gift of Christmas, many will go through this holiday season and there will be a certain void. Because perhaps they'll sing lyrics about a child being born and not understand. But God, I thank You for opening the eyes of this blind man. I praise You, God, for the evidence that I see all around me of people who've had hearts of stone that have had them replaced as a gift with a heart of flesh. A darkened mind that's been enlightened. God, we pray that we would both celebrate that and live that in our neighborhoods, in our families, this coming week. Thank you for the precious gift of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.